Good evening. It is good to see you. Thankful that we can be here together. Thank you for uh, being with us tonight. Let me go ahead and encourage you to open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy 4. And while you are turning there, turning that passage that we've been looking at over the last several weeks, we've been in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Lord willing, we can uh, press forward into Titus after this. But while you're turning to 2 Timothy 4, let me make a couple of announcements. Number one, uh, Ronnie wants me to reiterate, we made this announcement Wednesday, I guess it was, uh, please, please, before you leave tonight, even if you've walked by down through the hallway past my office, if you've walked by there 25 times this day already, we're asking you to walk by my office one more time tonight and look at that table that has the dishes and things on it and see if there's not something that you want to take home with you tonight. Uh, I'm telling you, you're going to see, if you've walked by it 25 times tonight, the 26th time as you walk by, you'll see something that belongs to you, or you'll see something that you want to belong to you. Take it. It's been here for forever. You know, there's like a statute of limitations, right? It's time. Just take it. Ronnie and Debbie want you to take it. Butch wants you to take it. So please take it. Um, really and truly, look there tonight. I'd be greatly appreciated by everyone. The other thing I want to mention, uh, much more serious, you know, we said this morning what a blessing it was that uh, the Bagby family has grown, but they're not the only family this week that has added a new bundle of joy. Uh, Seth and Whitney Gross announced the birth of their son, Hudson Lee. He was born on August 2nd, six pounds, two ounces. Gary and Missy are the proud grandparents, and the proud great-grandfather is Seth Thomas Gross, and so uh, we wanted to be sure and... Uh, mentioned them as well. What a blessing that is. So having said all those things, I want to direct your mind to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Last week, as we looked at just the first few verses, I think we looked at, not last week, but it was actually two weeks ago. It's been a little while now. 2 Timothy 4 verses 1 through 8. And you recall there, maybe you don't since it's been so long, but let me refresh your memory. As we looked at the first eight verses of 2 Timothy 4, we emphasize, because the text of Scripture emphasizes that the clock is ticking. Time's running out. So with great urgency, Paul says to Timothy, preach the word, be urgent. In other words, be emphatic and be serious and be the one who with all haste presses the message of the gospel upon the people when they want to hear it, when they don't want to hear it, when it's convenient, when it's inconvenient. When it makes them feel good, when it makes them feel bad, share the message, the truth, the eternal, unchanging message, like we emphasized this morning, the truth of God's word, share it all the time because the clock's ticking. Judgment's coming. That's verse 1 and verse 8. There's coming a day where there'll be no more opportunities to preach and teach because the Lord will return. He says in verses 3 and 4, you need to be preaching it because there's coming a time where the window of opportunity is going to close. People are going to be maybe open and receptive today, but tomorrow say no thanks. Say tomorrow, say I'm too busy. So preach today while they're listening. Then he says in verses 6 and 7, you better be preaching than teaching today because we're mortal and we won't live forever. But then he says this, and I want to emphasize this later in the lesson tonight before we close. He says in verse 8, we're not going to live forever, but we can live with confidence. We are going to die one day, but we can die with hope. 
because of Jesus, and that's a great blessing. And so he, he emphasizes these things in these first eight verses. You're sort of a, a last-ditch effort as he's drawing this letter to a close. Preach, preach, be urgent, hurry, share the gospel. But then we get to verse 9. And it looks like in verses 9 through the end of this letter that he shifts. The tone changes. And from this urgency to preach, he changes to personal notes. That's the way I've, I've put the heading here on, on my paper. I put just some personal notes as if it's kind of light and fluffy. It's not light. It's not trite. It's not just, you know, some, hey, how you doing? Hey, see you later. It's not that kind of personal note. It seems like it. And even here in my Bible, as I, as I hold up my text here, right above verse 9, it says personal instructions. And I guess that's fine. That's, that's fine as far as that goes. These are some personal messages he's going to share. He's going to mention people by name. That makes it personal. But it's still heavy. It's still serious. I want you to read these lines with me, and then we'll go back and we'll make some, some observation about these, these personal notes that, that Paul's sharing with Timothy as he closes this letter down, okay? So 2 Timothy 4, verse 9. We'll read it all. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I've sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, and also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me. All deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And then he says, Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. And he says, the Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. So he says a lot of things here. A lot of it is really personal. Mentioning people by name, wanting them to come here, go there, do that, do this. Bring this, bring that. This one did this, another one. He mentions a number of very personal things. But it's serious. It's not just the kind of things we might fire off in a quick email or a quick text, thinking about you, hope to see you soon, these kinds of things. It's, it's much deeper than that. So a few things I want us to say. Here's the first thing I want us to note from this, this passage of Scripture here, verses 9 through 22. The first thing is this. Our connections and our friendships are extremely important. Our connections matter. Our friendships matter. Look at verse 9. He says, Paul says to Timothy, do your best to come to me. Get here soon. 
Why, why, why hurry? Why, why does he want to be there so soon? What's the problem? Does he know, does Paul know that his death is imminent? Does he know that his time of execution is very, very close? Well, I think he does know. I think he does know he's about to die. Look at verse 6 up here. Remember he says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. The handwriting's on the wall. He knows that he's drawing his last breaths on earth. It's not going to be long before the executioner brings the sword. And so he says, hurry, get here as soon as you can. Just like Jesus, you remember Matthew 26, right? Maybe you can flip over to Matthew 26, about verse 36, where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's facing that darkest hour, which is going to lead to the even darker hour when he's on the cross. And in Matthew 26, 36 to 41, Jesus pleads with those few disciples to be there with him and watch with him, to encourage him, to help him through the dark hour. Remember when he comes back and finds them asleep and he's pleading with them, please, won't you stay awake and, and watch with me and pray with me and see me through this. Jesus needed people with him in that difficult, dark time. We need comfort and we need encouragement and we need people that will come up beside us and not give us trite platitudes, but those who will really genuinely come up next to us, put an arm under our armpit and lift us up. We need help. And sometimes it takes, it takes the courage and the wherewithal, the strength to ask for help. But then there, it takes somebody who's strong enough and humble enough to say, I want to help. And so Paul said to Timothy, I need your help. He's going to emphasize how often he's been deserted, how many times that he needed people there, and they weren't there for him. And he says, so do your best to come soon. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, it emphasizes the necessity of finding ways to encourage and pick up and lift people up. One of those ways is like this tonight, to be here together, to sing together and pray together and open up God's Word together. What an amazing thing it is for all of us at the exact same time, in the exact same way, to be focusing our eyes and our hearts and our minds on a passage of Scripture from God. And you're thinking about what God wants Robbie to know and what he wants Melissa and Jackie and... He wants all of us to know this, and we're thinking about it at the same time. We pray together and sing together. This is special, but it shouldn't be limited to this time. We should be encouraging others in other ways. And so Paul says, I need your friendship. I need your connection. I need you to be with me because those things matter. But there's the next thing, sort of a, a connection, sort of a continuing thought from that. If the first point is that connections and friendships are important, the next thing is this, desertion is a real possibility and desertion hurts. Look at verse 10. Demas, who clearly at one point in time, Demas was a worker. Demas was one that was with them, taught with them, planted churches with them. Demas was an important part of the cog. He was an important piece of the machine here. But Demas has become to love the present world. Prisons. <laughs> Demas wasn't cut out for prisons. Demas wasn't cut out for uh, hunger. Demas wasn't cut out for not knowing what was around the next corner. Remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul said, here's the list of things I've gone through for the Lord. Demas was in love with the world and went back to be in the world. He deserted Paul and went on to Thessalonica, he says. He deserted me and it hurt. 
Sometimes people will desert us personally. People will desert the Lord spiritually. Think about, think about the Apostle Peter. In Luke 22, there's at the end of Luke 22, Luke 22 is a long chapter, but down towards the end of Luke 22, it records the time where Luke denied the Lord not once, not twice, but three times. And the Lord had predicted that this was going to happen. On this day, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows, right? You know that. And when he denied the Lord that third time, it says there in Luke 22, verse 61, that when Peter denied the Lord, the Lord heard and knew and turned and saw and looked at Peter. The imagery there is that their eyes locked. And he looked at him, and Jesus was hurt, and Peter was hurt. Peter's denial of and abandoning of Jesus, his desertion of Jesus hurt both of them. It hurts. And there's also the, the passage in, in Luke chapter 15 with the prodigal son where that son deserts his family, deserts his father, and goes off into a, a far country of sin. And that father was humiliated and he was hurt, but he stayed there. He stayed waiting. He stayed open and welcoming, waiting for his son to return. It's a very real possibility for people to desert us. It's a real possibility for people to desert the Lord, and it hurts when it happens. Look at verse 16, just the first part of it. He says, at my defense, no one came to stand by me all deserted me he remembers that because it hurt he's going to even mention you know there's some things that i guess you could call it a good distance because there's a bad distance the bad distance is when someone cuts you off and leaves you and goes away leaves you in the pig pen to die or just be on your own who cares the good distance is like these people he says in verse 10 verse b or the second part of verse 10 Crescens has gone to Galatia. That's good. I sit in there. He's, he's planting churches. He's, he's helping people. He's teaching people. Titus is in, in Dalmatia. That's great. He's, he's helping people. He's teaching people. In verse 12, he says, Tychicus is in Ephesus. That's, that's great. He's doing God's work there. He's helping people, teaching people, spreading the gospel. So these are good things that are being done. But you see, in every case, even though they're doing good things, it still hurts to be separated from them. Paul said, I'm alone. And that hurt. So desertion is a real possibility, and it, and it hurts. Now, let me make a, a quick digression here. The next point I want to make, look at verse 13. There's a lot of reasons why some superficial, some really deep and theological, but there's a lot of reasons why I love verse 13. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus, and bring the books, especially the parchments. I love the fact that Paul loved his books. I love the fact that Paul couldn't stand to be away from his books. I'm not happy if I'm not around like a thousand books. Laura can testify. Every house of our book, how, every, every room in our house has books in it. So I'm so consumed with books, all I can say is books, books, books. Every room in our house has books. It drives her crazy. Is there not something that we can do with this stack of books here? Uh, yeah, they're good right there. They're close to me. I like all my stacks of books. And so did Paul. I love that. Here he is in prison, rotting away. His time, to, the sword is getting closer and closer to his neck, and he still wants the books close by. But let's think seriously about this for a moment. When he says, bring my cloak, why do you think he left the cloak behind in the first place? Why is he so far separated from his cloak? Well, we don't know the answer to that, but I've got some, I've got some guesses that fit with the personality of Paul. One, it might be he left his cloak behind, because remember, in this setting, in the ancient 
in the ancient world, this ancient context, your cloak was very, very valuable, very, very important. You didn't want to leave it behind because you needed it for so many different things. Remember whenever Jesus had his, they were you know, casting lots over it, gambling over who got the one that belonged to the Lord. Well, how in the world could he leave this valuable thing behind? Well, maybe it's because of persecution. You know, very often Paul had to just leave places in the middle of the night. Get up, we're going now. The people are coming to kill you. We've got to go. Maybe that's why he left it behind because he almost died. And so some things he thought were valuable were left behind. We know that about him. We also know this. He may have known somebody there that he felt like needed it more than he did. And so he left it behind so they could use it. He let them borrow it for a while. Maybe it's the case that this person was, was older and now no longer around. Maybe they've somehow gotten a new cloak. Whatever the case may be, maybe he was letting them have it, but now they don't need it. So he says, so bring it to me. Because we know for him, and here's the next thing I think about. He says in verse 21, I hope you'll come soon and that you'll get here before the winter. Paul got cold too. Paul wasn't insulated from all the horrible things in the world. Paul didn't find himself in the middle of this dank, dark prison and the Lord said, well, I'll just put a warm force field around you. Paul got cold too. And yet, even though Paul got cold too, Paul got discouraged too, left alone sometimes too, he stayed faithful. And that's a, that's a strong, strong, powerful message to you and me. We'll be cold. We'll be alone. We'll be frustrated. Will we stay faithful? He did. So he says, bring that cloak. I'm going to need it. But then there's this question. What, was on the, what were the books that he wanted? What were the parchments that he wanted? Was it a special copy of the book of Isaiah? Was it special sections from the book of Psalms? When he says, bring me the books, what did he want? Was it some of the Greeks that he had been brought up? Was it something that he would learned at the feet of Gamaliel? What did he want to read? What did he want to know? And what were the parchments? Were they special uh, portions of some prophet, special portions of, of the law of Moses? Were they blank? To where he knew he could start writing something else. And before I draw my last breath, I'm going to write one more letter to one more person. What was on these things? I don't know. We won't know this. It's just like what was Jesus writing in John chapter 8 on the ground, right? We won't ever know. But I love that Paul loved to be surrounded by these books, learning, teaching, growing, right up to the very end. Now, that's just a personal note that is a, a personal connection between Paul and all those like Paul that, that have a, a deep love for books. But think about this. Here's something we all need, because not all of us will love books, but all of us will need this. Every single last one of us, every person in this room, every person watching online, we all need second chances. Because all of us have messed up. All of us have sinned. All of us have deserted people who didn't deserve to be deserted. All of us have deserted the Lord. All of us have denied the Lord at some point. All of us have sinned. Romans 3.23, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so every last one of us needs second chances. We need grace, we need mercy, we need redemption. And so look at what he says here. Look at verse 11, the second part of verse 11. He says, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. If you didn't know the background, if you didn't know specifically, if you didn't know the book of Acts, you wouldn't know what this means. But if you go over to Acts chapter 13, verse 5, so Acts 13, 5 and Acts 13, 5, 13 in those places there that's when paul and barnabas are on their missionary journey their inaugural missionary journey there they go and someone that they take with them is mark 
Mark goes with them, it says in John 13, 5. But it says in John 13, or excuse me, Acts 13, 13, it says he goes back home. He couldn't stay with them. He left them. He deserted them. And so he goes back home while they're going on their journey. So then in Acts 15, when Paul says, we need to go back to those places we've been before. Let's go back and encourage them. In Acts 15, verse 36, Barnabas says, okay, good, let's get Mark again. And Paul says, no way. And it says in Acts 15, verse 39, there was sharp dissension. There was a big fight. And so Paul goes one way without Mark. Barnabas goes, goes the other way with Mark. And off they go. And then nothing else is said about them as far as we can see in Scripture until 20 years later. 20 years later here in 2 Timothy, Paul says, bring Mark. You know Mark, the one I said I wouldn't ever travel with again. You know Mark, the one I said, Barnabas, you take him because I don't want to be with him. That same Mark, Paul now says, bring him. I want to see him. I want to spend time with him. I want to talk to him because he is a powerful, useful part of the ministry of Jesus Christ. What changed in that 20 years? Again, just like what Jesus wrote on the ground and just what books it was that Paul brought with him. We don't know what changed in those 20 years, but here's two things I like to think of. I would have to think that there was some humility shown on Mark's part. That Mark at some point came to Paul and said, I'm sorry. Mark at some point came to Paul and said, I shouldn't have left. Mark came at some point and said, you can count on me now. I've grown, I've changed, I've matured. I can be counted on to go with you wherever you want to go. Doesn't matter what high mountain, what low valley, what distant place across how many seas. I will go with you and I will preach and teach. I'll get thrown in prison. I'll do whatever you need. Let me have another chance. There's something else that had to be part of that. There had to be some, some humility on Paul's part. There had to be some, I don't know how you might say it, growth, maybe even relaxing, chilling out. Paul learned to forgive. And so at some point along the way, when here's Mark, maybe it was the case that, that Mark was over in the corner, shy from the way he'd been treated before, and Paul goes and gets him and says, come with me. We've got another, we've got another job, another fight, another place that needs the gospel, never heard about Jesus, let's go. And they worked together and they did great things together. So now at this point, 20 years, 20 years later, Paul can say, bring Mark, because he's powerful and he's valuable. And look at verse 16, just emphasizing how beautiful, how wonderful, how great forgiveness is. 2 Timothy 4, 16, the second part of it, when he said, look, nobody came and stood by me. Here was my defense. Again, we don't know which defense this is. Before Agrippa, before Caesar, which defense? We don't know. But he says that this time I made a defense, I was alone. Now, wouldn't you be bitter? Wouldn't you say, oh, those sorry dogs didn't come and help me? Here I was about to be thrown into a prison maybe beheaded, and no one came and stood with me? And yet his attitude is this. May it not be held against them. Look at that. Read it with me. May it not be charged against them. That's powerful. That's someone who's been forgiven and seeks to forgive. It's the same guy who would write in Ephesians 4.32, we are to forgive others because Jesus Christ has forgiven us. And so he says, nobody came and stood by me. They all deserted me. But may it not be charged against them. No matter how many may desert us, the Lord stays faithful. Because look at verse 17. He said, all my earthly companions deserted me. But look at verse 17. But the Lord stood by me. So that's why I can't get mad. That's why I can't wish for you to be harsh and punish them, Lord. 
They didn't stand by me, but, but don't, don't hurt them. Don't, don't punish them. Forgive them. Verse 17, because the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that the message could be fully proclaimed and the Gentiles could hear it. And he said, so I was rescued from the lion's mouth. And the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed, every evil deed that I've done, every evil deed that they've done, all the people who've deserted me, all the people who tried to, to lie about me and throw me in prisons, all the evil deeds done by every party. The Lord will rescue me, rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. So to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. It's my prayer that we will live and that we will die with confidence in the grace and power of Jesus. Paul said, the time of my departure has come. And he said, you know, there were times I can reflect back, I can remember when in those times of trial, when I thought it was about to be the end of my life, no one stood by me but the Lord. And so it's that same Lord who stood by me in my trials. It's that same Lord who will walk with me across the threshold of death. And so I'm not afraid. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into His heavenly kingdom. If you can confidently say those words, if you can read that line, verse 18, from the Apostle Paul and say those are my words, then hallelujah and God bless you and we're thankful for that. But if you read those words and you have trepidation, if you read those words and you say that doesn't sound like something I live at all, let me encourage you. Let me encourage you to come before, bow before the one who can save and forgive and wash clean. Repent of your sins, and as it says in Acts 2.38, repent and be immersed and you'll be forgiven and given the gift of the Holy Ghost. You'll be made a part of the kingdom of Jesus by Jesus Himself. And you'll be able to say with all confidence, even when I'm faithless, He is faithful. And so if there's any way that we can encourage you or help you, we want you to come and stand with the one who never deserts while we stand and sing.